Hi, this is Jerry Vipiano, and you are listening to the Love Mia Vita podcast. My podcast guest today is a frequent podcast guest, Dr. Juliana Hauser. And Dr. Hauser and I are going to discuss a topic that's pretty important to women and men. We tend to hear about it a lot in men, and it's called midlife crisis. I hate that term. It really should be called a midlife transition. And this particular podcast, we're going to focus on the midlife transition, finding your worth and purpose, because that's this is actually the best time of your life. For those of you that have not had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Hauser, let me share a little bit of information about her background. Dr. Juliana Hauser leads conversations about relationships, agency, sexuality, intimacy, and a variety of topics, which you will begin to understand as you listen to these podcasts. She is very approachable. She is a professional, and she's also a lot of fun, which is why we keep asking her to join us on our podcast. She studied and received her PhD in counseling education from the College of William and Mary. She is considered a thought leader and sexpert, diving deep into the hard to have conversations that we all need to be having. So these are really tough conversations and Juliana is very comfortable explaining the how to's, the why's and the wherefore's of some of these difficult conversations. She has spent decades, although she doesn't look like she spent decades, in counseling and supporting thousands of individuals and partners on their paths to discover their sexual agency, relationship intimacy, and fulfilling sexual connection. But the crowning jewel of Dr. Juliana's offering is her revealed course. And she certifies others to facilitate the course in eight, you believe it, eight countries. You can reach Dr. Juliana on her website at dr-juliana.com. And we'll have that on our uh, website. And so you'll be able to look at that and get that correct spelling of Dr. Juliana's name. Welcome, Juliana. I'm so excited to have you as our guest once again. I'm so happy to be here. I just love and adore you and always look forward to our conversation. Thanks. We have mutual admiration here. So midlife, um, it's as old as, well, it dates all the way back to Aristotle, right? So 300 BC, Aristotle referred to this time of your life, which he coined as being the age around 50, as the prime of your life. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I have I agree with him. It is indeed the prime of your life, but it isn't necessarily the prime of everyone's life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we hear about something called that midlife crisis, and we joke about it. Most of it in the context of what men go through. The woman that's, you know, half his age, so divide by two, add seven, Um, and no disrespect to any of you that are listening out there that maybe that woman, we're not in, we don't mean to insult you, you you definitely are a prize, Um, and we also hear about the sports car and, you know, the epiphany that these men may have where they do silly things, but we hear less about it, or we have heard less about it in women, and let's face it, aren't we the ones that are really juggling everything? So midlife can be a time of great, and should be a time of great liberation, 
but it oftentimes has its challenges. So let's talk about that for a minute. So I, oh, sorry. Yep. Um, I actually wanted to say, like, I, I call it an awakening. Uh, I agree with the word transition and I agree that crisis is not the right words. And what I have seen happen of those who are fall into that, that stereotype that we've seen that was, was pretty relevant 20 years ago, but you don't see as much stereotypically now. And it's why I tra I've transitioned to using the, to the word awakening is that at this age, like in your fifties, a lot of us have already had the experiences of life not turning out how you thought it could be the death of something. It's somebody that was important to you that was unexpected. It can be your career not turning out, your marriage not being what you thought it was going to be, your kids not, your kids not turning out how you thought. Something that has felt unexpected that wasn't in life's plan. Something has forced you into this facing yourself, facing your choices and facing the trajectory of your life. It's also a time period that you have to face, you have chosen some paths that have closed other paths. And those consequences of the past closing are coming to bear. Some of those are welcomed, some of those are not. And that process is not gendered. It is, it is, it happens to almost everybody. So you either get to the awakening by force because of something happening in your life. Um, or by circumstance of like your age or just seeing things around you, or it is physically, physically something has changed, menopause, or your body has changed and you cannot, you, the wrinkles are different. You look at yourself, you're like, whoa, like who, who is that? Or you start hearing people say, my 20 year old self really wouldn't uh, believe this. Or I remember 50 looked ancient. And here I am. If you start hearing that, you're in that period of awakening. And, and what I like to do, I know this is part of your philosophy too, is how can you get ahead of this and be in agency in this process rather than being whiplashed by it? It's It really is true. We hear the typical question in our midlife, which is, did my life count? Does it still count? Does it have meaning? And it's, we think about this, as you just described, um, we look at the, the midlife as the first half of our life is complete, right? And now you define it kind of differently as now the second half of your life. And let's face it, it'd be great if we all live to 100 or more, but if you're 50 years old, you're look you're looking at the next 50 years, and you were in the go 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 years, and now you might be in the go or going slower years, and you have to face that reality. But it doesn't have to be the gloom and doom than what might imagine. Uh, and, and you're right. We talk about what what's going on at this point. So maybe your marital status has changed. Maybe you were never married, and maybe it doesn't matter to you at all but you face being perhaps single for the rest of your life or being in an unpartnered relationship. Let's face it, careers change. You may be thinking about retiring or, or may have retired. Or, or may can't retire. Or you can't retire. And you know, economic issues are much more pressing for women, particularly single women, or women who have lost um, a partner through either death or divorce or some other circumstance, uh, children are leaving the nest. 
So if you were a full-time stay-at-home parent and you your purpose in life was raising your children, perhaps you're scratching your head now that your children have moved on and you're trying to figure out what do I do now? Um, illness, right? We have to face the reality that you know we may be at risk for certain issues, whether they're cardiovascular, cancer, whatever, not necessarily, but it certainly does rise with age. And then we lose or maybe losing a parent or both parents. And these are really very significant life events, but we can mostly deal with these challenges with the right mindset. And you said agency, and that's really important. The decisions that we make and the consequences that we live with as a function of those decisions is super important right now. Mm-hmm. And I want to add to that too, that if your life isn't hitting any of those check marks that you just said of those categories, you for sure have people in your life where it is. And sometimes that can be even scarier when you start seeing more and more friends having cancer, having bigger health risks, when you see more and more marriages that are ending, when you see friends that are losing their children, when you're, when you see multiple friends losing their parents and it's not you yet that can can catapult you into that place of the awakening or the transition time of like a whoa, whoa. Those feelings are really scary. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure that that those of you that are listening or viewing this podcast can appreciate that in the past year, I have had at least half a dozen friends who have lost a parent. I lost my mom and friends of mine that sort of lived through that with me, started looking at their own family members, especially if their parents were in the same age group cohort and anticipating what that was, what that might be like through my eyes. And that, so that can be really scary. I think that's really important. Ditto on things like losing a partner mm-hmm. through death, divorce, just, you know, you, you drift apart. Mm-hmm. And you you tend to feel could that be could that that could be me not that that is me but that could be me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and so this this can be a very scary time and I see that too like I, I lovingly call them like menopause circles that a, a lot of uh, people in my age group right now that we're talking when we get together like we joke like gosh girls night is very different these days. Like we are what used to be when we're getting together in our thirties of a night out and dressing up and going to a club or or whatever to all hours of night. Now it's like, let's be in our pajamas by nine 30. And we're sitting around on our couches, happy as can be with blankets and maybe a drink, but we're talking and we're talking like, so what are your symptoms and what are you doing now? And we're like doing the debriefing of it. And that can feel both connecting and reassuring and scary to hear these things. And, and then we go our separate ways. We get into the busyness of our life and we're not really sure how do we incorporate and integrate those feelings of fear, those feelings of that we're already experiencing ourselves, And how do we get on, how do we get on top of it? And where are the, where are the skills that we should be learning? We, we learn a lot of life stuff along the way. We are taught school, you know, we're taught things in, in our schooling along the way. But there is no midlife school that we are going to. And I know we're going to talk in a, in a future uh, time about something that I believe in, which is aging mentorship. Um, unless you have people in your life that are aging ahead of you and sharing the experience and 
sharing how to do it in an empowered and agency way, as opposed to being fear-based and terrified of it, then you are feeling like, well, I just can't deal with that right now. <laughs> I'm not going to deal with it until it's right in front of me, which in some ways that's the truth. We can't anticipate everything, but I really advocate, and I know you do also of like, let's, let's educate ourselves. Let's share information that the research that's out there, the practical skills that we're learning from one another and, um, and see that this midlife time can truly be a beautiful awakening and a chance to make the most in a very healthy way of the time that you have left. And, and I think too, the caveat for me is not just chronologic time, but like quality of lifetime that we have left. That, that we never really know how much time are we going to have our health? Are we going to have um, time with each other? Making the most of that is a good thing uh, as opposed to a really terrifying part of life. You know, it's interesting that you say that because um, I do have friends that um, have end-stage cancer um, and have been associated with the Living Beyond Breast Cancer Organization. I've had the privilege of meeting women who are surviving with breast cancer and a number of them have have or have had uh, stage four breast cancer, and they talk about quality of life, not how much time, but how much quality. So it's about how you live versus how much time there is to live. Because let's face it, if your life is pretty bad, mm -hmm. you know it that you want you want to squeeze every drop out of that lemon. Um, which is a phrase my mom used to use. I'm going to squeeze every drop out of that lemon. So whatever le whatever lemons life handed her, she was going to do the best that she could and make lemonade with it. And I think that's really a quality of life conversation. When we look at this phase of our life, um, we can sort of bucket these into the physiological changes, which you, we kind of talked about, the affective changes, the psychological and the social. And I know you're going to touch on all of these. Um, physiological, it's pretty obvious. I mean, let's face it. I wish I had my 20-something-year-old body, but and some of the changes aren't all that bad. Um, I, I always joke, finally got boobs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was thinking about boobs. Uh, my daughter called the other day, said something about my floppies. And I was like, what? And it was the funny, now I can't let it go. And it's so funny that she started seeing my breasts as floppies. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to model good aging on this and, and identify this and embrace the floppies. Uh, and I've told some of my friends and we, we all signed off, love and floppies. Yeah. Uh, and Absolutely. There is, some, there is something to be said about that. So the redistribution of fat wasn't all bad. Uh, <laughs> let's face it, it, you know, for, for most of us, you know, we do, we do see our bodies changing and we have to, we have to deal with that. Um, our metabolism may be altered. Uh, we may not be getting the best rest because sleep is often a symptom of menopause. And for, if you're in your fifties, uh, median age is 52, but you know, if you're in your late forties, early fifties, you might have had these symptoms, sleep disturbances, the hot flashes and so forth. So those are all the physiological issues that we as women are facing in, the, in terms of challenges. There are things that can be done. We're not gonna talk about them right now because we're really focusing on something different, which is, um, is, is more attuned to what we can do 
to embrace this and awaken. Um, and then we have affective. And I, I will leave that to you, the affective, the psychological, and the social, because I think those are that's really the crux of what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. I want to back up just a little bit to our bodies and 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 really kind of give a plug for we need to be careful in our age now about how we are talking about our bodies with each other too. And um, we, there's a lot of push about doing that for our daughters um, and when we're younger, but uh, we have forgotten that in our, in our 50s years on up, that it's really critical too how we feel about it. And that we're not also just pushing that you have to accept your body. You have to love your body. I think there's just so much pressure to do that and not a lot of skill of, well, how do I love my body? And one of the things that I found to be some of the most potent in that endeavor is uh, to find body compassion, to really have compassion for your body and to, to look at the places um, in your body that has served you and the, like the scars, the, the different roles, the places that your body has, has supported you and to not feel like you have to love every change that your body has made. You don't have to. Uh, and, and it's interesting how some people have different, like for me, one of the, one of the biggest missing pieces of body is people talking about your hair that, that was never spoken about to me that in your aging, that you can lose hair. Some, some people have just the thick mane of hair still in their fifties and others like, like me, like I'm losing it in handfuls. And, and I didn't know that. And I know I had prepared myself for all this body compassion and all the changes and scars. I did not prepare myself for losing my hair and the vanity and the, and the, and the horror of feeling that. And I didn't know how to make it better. So uh, letting yourself have some room for that. Um, I've certainly changed in my view of hair and, 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 and recalibrated myself in that experience. And I talk about it as much as possible so that if anyone else goes through that, they know to anticipate it too. And I'm really careful with, with my, with my confidants of how do we support each other? And so when someone is not happy about their body in, in my group, we don't automatically discount that. Um, we just like, yep, I hear you, I get it, or we do the me too, but we also make sure that we don't get contagious in it and that it doesn't become like this body shame fest in it. Um, and so body compassion and looking at what has, what has your body done to help you get to this place and having appreciation for it, um, as well as just not making yourself be toxically positive about everything. Uh, so kind of moving into the um, the affect and the psychological um, and social aspect of this, um, especially when we're talking about like female identified folk, that you'll hear like the, it'll be phrasing different ways, but like the, the no Fs given or the I'm learning my boundaries, those kinds of things. There's even some studies that are saying that they think there's a hormonal aspect to not caring as much about what people think about you. We'll see what we think about the efficacy of that, of that study. But I, I, I like the idea that there's some kind of, of, of biological stance that's happening along the way too, not just social, but this, this movement that everyone has a different pacing of it. But when you get to this place of, I am exhausted from people pleasing, I am not served any longer by putting so much energy towards what other people think of me, is there's, it's a potent place. And so I really recommend stepping into that and understanding it and not going to the place of, I don't care at all and who cares, there's no consequences to my behavior 
but I do think it's really important to say I am re rebalancing where I'm putting emotional energy and I'm and I'm redistributing where I am putting my thought process, my resiliency, and my emotional intimacy with people. I think that's really important to do. Uh, and I and I think too, and some of that is especially for women because we're so connected based that allowing yourself to have relationships change and end and close and complete and not feeling guilt in that. Um, allowing your, if you are in a committed a romantic or sexual relationship, allowing that to have ebbs and flows. And one of my favorite things, like I, I think it's like my, one of my superpowers is when I do, when I work with couples, I absolutely love working with couples at this age with the intent of let's just decide what you want your relationship to be at this point. Let's take all the rules out the window and let's start from scratch of like, what do you want? What do you need? What works for you? Not anybody else, not with society, not your parents, not other people in your peer group, but what do you two need as a couple? Um, start looking at a lot of those places in your life in that way. And that process, and that's what I, what I talk about so much of, and you, you said it earlier, is agency. It's really like having self-autonomy. It's really talking about making purposeful and intentional choices. Um, I actually was working with somebody uh, yesterday who we were redefining what her career is. She made the decision to put a notice in somewhere and, she, and, and she's like, so where do I go now? And so we started and to her, what was a really unexpected place. I was like, what brings you joy? What brings you joy? We're going to start there. And all she could think about at first was in the context of work. I was like, no, 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 no. Let's just talk about what flower brings you joy. What music brings you joy? What is it? We're gonna, we will find things within this that you will get to create and, and, and move to this place of positioning yourself. And I know some of this is a privileged place. Some of this, if you get to choose, not all of us get to have those kind of choices, but if you do, you, there's places where you can find it either globally or, or in smaller ways and focus on that. It is a part of the privilege of aging is that you can start creating different parts of your life. You have to take some risk in some places and you have to give up some other things, but it changes. It changes when you start surrounding yourself with joy. Um, but I, I think it's another place that we have to watch for ourselves is like, where, where are we protecting what fills us? What is, um, and I think that ultimately goes to like, well, what's our purpose here? What, what is our purpose? Why, what is the point of all of this? And you getting to answer that to whatever extent that you can, to me, part of that answer is finding joy and bringing joy, um, to, to other people. And it's time to start making sure your, your life follows that at this point and hopefully that you are living a life or will soon be living a life where you get to make choices um, some of our choices are this and some of our choices this but um, often we will have some um, and so when you lead with joy that can actually bring a lot of spark and vibrancy back into your life so for some of us when we're in this phase it is not all fabulous some of the changes are terrible some of the changes are, are really difficult um, unwanted um, just life altering in, in some of the, the most tragic kinds of ways. So joy feels really far away in, in, in that. And if that's the case, if, if life hasn't turned out how you thought it would, I think the answer to that too is you grieve it, you acknowledge it, and then you look for, so 
where can I put my foot on a different path that can serve where I'm hoping to go to, where I'm wanting to go to. And oftentimes when life hasn't turned out how we want, we don't trust the world in a lot of ways. Like when bad things happen to good people and you're the good person that it's the bad thing has happened to, it changes you. It changes your safety in the world. And I think that's another piece that you have to really face as, as we are in this place in life, which is when you see the bad things happening to other people or has happened to you, you don't feel as safe. When you don't feel safe, you don't show up authentically to the world and to people in your life and you don't risk take. And a lot of joy is about risk taking too. It just would define it a little bit differently. Uh, it's also about being present and being mindful. And when you live a very busy life or you're coming off of that season, like a lot of people are hitting their 50s. If they've had their kids in their 20s and early 30s, your 50s are when you've just graduated them. And it's been go, go, go and, 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 and putting, every, putting everything about the, their senior years and all of that. And so where, what do you do with all this time? What do you do with this redefining of your roles? And, and, and to me, I think you grieve what, what it was, what you thought it was going to be. And, and then you are, you make hope sacred and you make curiosity a huge like the, it's like the GPS of where you're going. Let it be the GPS and the vibe of, of how, how you open things up. And I'll say one last thing. Um, I, uh, I think for those of us who are in our 50s and 60s after COVID, boy, we experienced a lot in this world that has been unexpected from many, many decades. And I feel we're lucky that we are in the kind of post-ish COVID era of a lot of the rules are gone. A lot of things are, are opening up to be creative. A lot of companies, a lot of families, a lot of relationships are like, so what do we want? And I really encourage for those of us in the awakening time period to really make the most of that. And it can be a scary question to ask if the answer is, I don't know, but you won't stay there if you get curious and you create safety for yourself so that you can risk take. So it's interesting that you say that uh, post-COVID, and there was a study that was um, recently published, and it um, it looked at the different things that women. It was for it was a study of women, and it was a study of where, where they were in this um, midlife awakening, called the midlife awakening, and where they found the, the biggest challenge, and it was really in finding balance, mm. and that was largely a post-COVID awakening because let's face it during covid the disproportionate number of the responsibilities fell on the shoulders of women didn't matter whether you were a woman in your 30s 40s 50s 60s because let's face it you you could have young children have a career not have a career but perhaps have a husband that's working at home now you're trying to you know keep the kids quiet while the husband is working or perhaps you have college-age children, they're not in school, they're doing their work at home, you're juggling your career, you're juggling your kids, perhaps you have elderly parents. So the convergence of all these things, when you find time for yourself, so finding that balance, finding that joy, leading with joys, you said it earlier, it is not that easy for any of us. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, how am I gonna find, personally, I said, how am I gonna find that joy? My mom was dying. It was COVID. My daughter ended up in the um, 
ICU with COVID and all this was happening. So I still had to run a business and I kept thinking, where is it, when is it going to stop? And, you know, finding that inner strength can sometimes be very challenging. And I keep using the word challenging because I think it's less pathological than calling it stress, but let's, let's call it what it is. It's still stressful. It's how we traumatic. I think that even though the word is used quite a bit these days, I think some of that is, uh, it may be a small T rather than a big T, but it's still, it's a shock to the system. Yeah, it is. And let's face it. It's, it's about how you deal with that. So whether you have those reserves to deal with it, right? Because um, when you think about how women, and I'll just keep using women because using the word women or that as a gender, um, because women tended to face more of these balance issues than their male counterparts. But how you deal with that, if you have stress overload, how do you get back to a point where you reach homeostasis, where you things come back into balance and you can get those stress levels under control, that can be a challenge. And let's face it, impacted by socioeconomic issues. So for for those that are fortunate enough to be somewhat comfortable, who are not in debt or not working two or three jobs and juggling kids, maybe supporting extended family members, that's that layers on a different level of stress at this particular time. I love the, I love finding joy, you know, being mindful, living in the present, not projecting too far ahead. I mean, let's face it, we do have to plan to some degree, but sometimes just best to enjoy what you have right here and now and be in the moment as much as you can be in the moment. And I'll add one more thing to this. So if I was in, like, if we were to do midlife school, uh, one of the things that I would have added this earlier too, but if we didn't get it before, which is there's a, there are uh, a number of personality um, and like moral and ego development theories. There is one skill that is considered one of the highest levels that if you had this skill that you are highly developed and evolved. And when I heard it, I was like, nope. Nope, that is the antithesis of what I've spent my life doing. So a lot of what I thought was like an evolution and a way of being in the world is finding certainty that if you could figure out certainty in uncertain places that then you were really doing well. And that was, and I spent lots of time doing that and, and could plan for every disaster and, and, and felt great when I thought I had planned for certainty or ensure certainty, but the skill that is actually considered the most evolved is the tolerance for ambiguity. And I did not like it and I fought it. And when I realized, yep, darn, that is the truth. Every time that I've had the hardest times in my life were the things I didn't see coming, were the times where it was absolutely uncertain when I was creating certainty for myself. Didn't like that, you can call it control, you can call it whatever you wanna call it telling me that I had to sit there. And this is what I, when I saw like tolerance for ambiguity, all I could view was like, you know, the own position and just like, oh, like everything's fine when there's a storm. And that was a super annoying to me and never, you were never going to ever convince me that was the case until I started paying attention to the times that I was able to let go. The times that I was able to say to myself, you are going to be okay. You will figure this out. 
you are okay. You are safe right now. That, that combination of present mindfulness and you're okay is the most powerful skill. And it's a place that I think a lot of, a lot of us in this age group can access more often. Um, for some of us, we have less people depending on us on a day-to-day basis. For some of us, we have more. I, I still have a nine-year-old in, in the house. So I've got a lot of that happening for me too. Um, but I, uh, I have found that to be one of the most important skills of resiliency of aging well and creating joy in my life is letting go of having to have certainty in order to feel safe and realizing that knowing I'll be okay is probably the most safe inducing thing I can do for myself. And then it's like, well, how do you learn tolerance for ambiguity? I get that. I get asked that a lot too. And there's lots of things you can do, but mainly it's paying attention to those moments where you don't know how things are going to turn out and you're okay in those moments. And you take it being a millisecond to being a second, to being a minute, to being 10 minutes, to being whatever length of time you need it to be. And even though this is something I've been working on and honing for many years of my life, there are times where I forget to, to hone the skill of tolerance for ambiguity, but I know how to get back to it. And that makes a difference. So I'm, I'm not walking around this world with a Zen place all the time. I get anxious. I get worried. I, I want certainty on things. Um, but uh, I know what the symptoms are of how I'm enacting it. And I know the damage it does to myself and to people around me when I'm in that place and I get myself back to it. Uh, and I think if you can do that, you can have a completely new chapter of life. So interesting that you use that tolerance of ambiguity, because let's face it, this can be a very, tur- we've, we've talked about this throughout this podcast. This can be a very turbulent time of your life. Things mm-hmm. are changing. They can be changing in an instant. Parent, children, partner, job, all these things are, you know, your health, all these things can be changing in an instant. How you deal with all those changes that are hitting you. It's like, you know, you're in in the ocean and the waves keep hitting you. They're not going to knock you down. I, I guess that's the metaphor that I use. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm standing in the ocean and the waves keep hitting me. But they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to knock me down. Right. Or if I do get knocked down, I'm sure I'm going to get back up. I'm, I am confident I will get back up. And that's that you're right. It's a skill that we all need to develop. I have a terrible time dealing with ambiguity. I'm right there with you, Juliana. It's really, really tough. Mm-hmm. And then I think about, okay, what am I going to do in this next chapter of my life? Um, Sarah Lawrence Lightfoot referred to it as um, the third chapter. And I think that's really something I'm going to embrace because mm-hmm. the third chapter in light. In, in life really provides us opportunities for making decisions about who we want to be, how we want this to look. Where can we grow? Who are we going to hang out with? You said this early on. I'm going to shed some of this baggage, whether it's folks that don't have any place in my workplace or in your workplace or in your inner circle or in your family, again, it's not to say you're going to you know, cut off members of your family, disinherit them, disown them or not ever, but you may choose not to interact with them on a regular basis, or you may choose to interact with them differently. So I think this, you know, dealing with some of that ambiguity um, is 
it's a skill that we need to develop, but it's, we have the opportunity to do that in this third chapter. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I, and I love looking at this as a time to what she's talking about. Also, it sounds like it's agency, like really making a decision. And what's really an important piece of agency that happens in these, in the, in, in this time of our life is that we know ourselves better. We do. And when you know yourselves better, and I don't say, I'm not saying like we've perfected who we are. We know every, every piece of us because we're always changing as well, but we know ourselves better. So then we can make decisions that really serve the authentic part of who we are. And when you make decisions that serve the authentic you with purpose and intention, we make decisions that are joyful, fulfilling, are, have ripple effects that are positive for ourselves and for other people and the people in our lives. If we are leaders, if we are business people, if we have careers, we are, it helps us make better decisions that way. And when, we're, when we are operating from a place of authenticity and purpose and intention, it changes communities, it changes relationships, and it changes your essence and the core of who you are. And it changes the quality of life that you're living, however long that is. You know, it's funny, um, Sue, we talked We talked about your decision-making, which is formed by the wisdom of accumulated years, mm -hmm. right? Yep. In whatever, where, whatever you've done in those accumulated years, whether you've worked, whatever you've done, parenting, you have accumulated, or, or haven't been a parent, but maybe you've been a caregiver in another way, but you've accumulated some wisdom you probably have improved your emotional regulation because let's face it, you've gotten, you know, you've gotten your hands slapped, proverbially speaking, or metaphorically speaking, you've had your hands slapped. So, so presumably you've learned from some of those experiences um, and you've developed some practical intelligence along the way. It's not necessarily book learning, mm -hmm. although I, of course, I'm a big believer in education, but, but practical intelligence is is even more valuable than what we might read in a textbook and then there is the for some for some folks there's the opportunity to reinvent yourself so you might be thinking about retirement but how about re-engagement instead of retirement mm -hmm. um labor over leisure I want to work at something. I want to do something, but this time I want to do something that really makes me feel worthwhile or helps other folks in ways that I've always contemplated, but maybe didn't have the luxury because I was too busy raising my kids or taking care of my parents or working at a job where I was totally unfulfilled, but I had to do it for a variety of reasons. And maybe now you're in a place in your life where you, you don't, you can shed some of those material things. So you have more resources to work with and you can make some, you could take some of those risks. And what about learning? Maybe you want to do that degree that you've always hoped to do. Go back to a community college or maybe you have to finish a four-year degree or get your PhD, whatever that is. Perhaps now is the time of your life when you're unburdened and you have the privilege of doing so. Again, that presumes that you don't have economic pressures that are pressing down on you. But if even if you do, what are the small things that you can do that feed your soul? Because that's really what we're talking about here. Is we have to feed our souls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and to know that that is it's a smart thing to do. It's a loving thing to do. 
it is not a selfish thing. It's actually, frankly, one of the most selfless things you can do is to step into the truth of who you are because it models it for other people. The ripple effects are so positive in, in many ways. And it is, it's, it's a giving back. When you are doing, if, if you are learning something, like I, I was just with a friend uh, about a month ago and he was uh, learning Fr French again and because he was going to take a trip and so he's doing an app for 15 minutes every morning. And it was absolutely precious watching him do this and, uh, and knowing that is the last thing I wanted to be doing. But I loved it that he knew it. He's like, why not? I want to do this now. I want to be able to speak this uh, when we go on this trip. And I used to do it and I let it go. And we should be encouraging that those kinds of things in each other. One of the things that happens, unfortunately, a lot of times in our 30s and 40s is we do things because we're supposed to. We're doing things to, to like bank for, for, for later. And then this later never happens. Or we get ourselves stuck into these choices that were never for us. They were for other reasons or for other values. And, and sometimes that's what you need to stay in and you can't completely get out of it. But you can find places where you can carve out the truth for you in all those areas that you just said. And I love it. I, I, I love it when people can do it. And, I, and you need to find communities that support it. Because when people, I hear this a lot in your 30s and 40s, for those who are choosing to do that, and it's, it's a little bit less now after COVID, but people are threatened when they are stuck in decisions that they don't see their way out of, when they see somebody who is going a different pathway and taking themselves out of it. Let's not do that to each other in our 50s and 60s. Let's support that process of like, great, what do you like? What do you, do you not like? What do you need at this time in your life? And ask it from each other and surround yourself with people who ask it for you and of you too. Well, this brings me back to something that we, we learned from you in an earlier podcast, which is the yucks and yums. And it was in the context of things that we like from the standpoint of sex and our sexual agency and sexual self-confidence. But it really has applicability in all areas of our life. And that's, that's at least my interpretation is yucks and yums. What do I really, what's, what is delicious? And what do I really not, what, what don't I enjoy? I ate, you know, I ate those asparagus because my mom put it on my plate. I knew it was healthy for me, but I'm really, I really am a, a fan of broccoli. I prefer the broccoli, right? I, I'm using these metaphors. Yeah, silly. Exactly. But exactly. Ditto on, on the people that you're surrounded with, the job that you hate, that just drives you to distraction and sends you home feeling like you just want to open a bottle of wine. For God's sake, you know, after one or two glasses, you're numb, but do you really want to be numb? Or would you rather go outside and take a long walk in the park or go cycling or just kind of hang out with your kids or your husband or your partner, read a good book? That's the sort of thing you want to do. So shed, you know, if you have a job that you hate, now's the time. Mm -hmm. You can, perhaps you have the luxury to find another one. If you, if you have to work, find something that's going to make you want to get up every single morning and Get in there and do the best that you can and surround yourself with people that you really feel are kind and good and decent people and are there with the same purpose in mind. You made a couple of jerks along the way, but if you, if you can control it by finding the right culture, that's also a good thing. Mm -hmm. 
And so I would say career choices and relationship choices are some of the bigger life-changing, life-altering decisions to make if you're doing it in this time period. And for some, they just, the answer is, I'm not going to, I'm not leaving. I'm going to figure this out. Or I can't change careers right now. I, I, I need to wait five more years to get vested, whatever those things are. If you're not in a place while you're listening to this, that you can actually make those changes. What you can do is make steps towards them. Or you could make steps towards trying to redefine what, what your experience is in, in that career, or in that work, or in that relationship. Um, or you can find other places where you hone the skill of asking yourself, is this a yuck or is this a yum? And what am I going to do about it? Sometimes we start in, is it broccoli or asparagus? And sometimes that can be a scary question, like, I don't know. Well, then, then endeavor to find out and know that that's important, that it matters. What is your yuck and your yum? And sometimes we can act on that and sometimes we can't. Sometimes we can make big changes and we should, and sometimes we can't. And other times it is a it is an accumulation of changes of yums in our life that can balance maybe a big decision that we can't change. Sometimes it's the big decision and then we let all the other things kind of fall into place in it as well. And the biggest thing that you put in this is you have to know the truth, you have to really answer this honestly. Be honest. Don't say the popular, wonderful, should, this is how it's always been answered. And if you don't know the truth, then wait until you do. Ask yourselves more questions. Get to know yourself more about this and lean into the ambiguity of it. When you make big changes or even the small ones, you don't really know what's going to happen and have fun in the journey of that instead of being terrified of finding out the answers. And that is a brilliant way to end this podcast because finding your worth and purpose really requires you to answer some questions, right? To ask yourself those questions and lean into that. You, you may not have all the answers. So that's the leaning into the ambiguity. Mm -hmm. But we need to first lean into who we think we are, what we really want. Asking ourselves these questions during this part of our life can really mean that this, we have an awakening that propels us to the best phase of our life. And I happen to think that that's where we are when we reach midlife. Mm -hmm. I agree with Aristotle. It's the prime of your life. Me too. Juliana, it's always a pleasure. And I hope for our listeners, they've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, we shared some personal observations. I'm a little too personal, but that's okay. That's why we do the Love Mia Vita podcast. One of the things I love about Dr. Juliana is she is authentic. Um, and as all of us who are at this phase of our life, authenticity is so important. So we hope that you, our listeners, have enjoyed this as much as we have. We always have a great time with mm -hmm. our, our, our conversations together, but we hope our listeners have enjoyed it even more so if that's possible. And stay tuned for more episodes with Dr. Juliana, who is going to be a regular podcast guest and will co-host podcasts with me in the future. So stay tuned, check us out, and remember to love Mia Vita. This is Jerry DiPiano with Dr. Juliana Hauser, drjuliana.com website. Be well, Juliana. Mm, thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.